Jeff Levering and wife Ashley love their new patio door from Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It's like having a brand new kitchen. I love the roll screen. The fact that the screen is on the inside. Get 0% interest for up to 48 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the old National Bank Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. An abbreviated program today. Brewers baseball coming up a little bit after 1.30, but lots of ground to cover before that. Let me give you some breaking news. All week, we have been talking about that car crash and the reckless driving that happened outside of uh, Morse Middle School near 76th and Green Tree on Monday. Remember, this is the story. There's the school bus that is parked on the, the, the street. And what happens is you see a st- – it turns out to be – what a surprise – a stolen Kia comes around the corner at a very high rate of speed. It is swerving back and forth. It smashes into the rear of the school bus. Oh, by the way, there's a number of passengers in the stolen Kia. This is 9 o'clock on a Monday morning when people are supposed to be in school and things like that. Um, the kids that are in the stolen car driving in a reckless fashion are hanging out the window. So what happens is it slams into the rear of the school bus. One of the kids, 15-year-old boy, who's hanging out the passenger side window, he's ejected from the car and then is dragged behind the Kia. He is in uh, critical condition in, in the hospital, and I, I guess it, it's kind of touch and go with, with that. The Kia then continues after smashing at full speed into the school bus. There's an 11-year-old kid on the school bus who's getting off the school bus at the time, and the impact causes him to be thrown off the school bus. He's he His leg is injured, but thankfully nothing more severe than that. The Kia then continues its momentum after slamming into the back of the school bus, and we've got videos up, and the videos are all over. I've, I've got one posted at my website at, uh, on Twitter at, at Jeff Wagner 620. But the Kia is moving. There's so much momentum that the Kia continues moving after it slams into the school bus and it ends up hitting a, a pickup truck that, that's on the street. And you, you have the whole video of this. What you can see is that after the impact, the people that are in the car, the cockroaches that they are, decide to just jump out of the car and run away, leaving one of their friends behind for dead, literally. And then there's now surveillance video from a home that's right down the street from where this occurs that sees the, these four punks running away and, and fleeing. And, you know, we've been talking about for the last couple of days, okay, why, you know, when are they going to be arrested and things like that? Well, here's the breaking news. Milwaukee police announced this morning that they have arrested Two people in connection with this car crash, um, they have not do not have the driver yet. But, I mean, I presume they know where the driver is. But they've arrested two people um, in connection with this. These would be two other passengers in the stolen car and two of the four people that fled, leaving their friend behind. All right. Want to guess the ages of now? This is nine o'clock on a Monday morning when people are supposed to be in school. All right, want to guess the ages and or the genders? Well, I'll make it easy for you. Police say they have arrested a 15-year-old girl and a 14-year-old girl in connection with the car crashing into the school bus outside Morse Middle School. Now, both of these both of these people were passengers in the stolen car and part of the joyride, and, and they ended up fleeing. 
So the cops have caught those two. Now, of course, they're supposed to be in school. They're not supposed to be in the stolen car, joyriding, etc. The driver of the car, and obviously they know who that is. They're not naming him, but the, him or her. The driver of the car is still at large, and one of the other of apparently the five people that were in the car, one thrown in the hospital in critical condition, two girls, 14 and 15, who have been now arrested, and then there's two others that are still at large. Now, so, I mean, I don't know the ages, but my guess is, my guess is the driver's probably 13 or 14 or 15, too, so that the cops know where he or she is. So you got to presume that there will be an arrest made relatively shortly. Um, somebody's probably harboring the child, but they're, they're going to end up catching them. But so we now know two of the people that were not injured that fled, um, 14 and 15 years old, 9 o'clock in the morning, joyriding in a stolen car, and then fleeing from the scene. So... You know, before anybody calls up and says, well, maybe we shouldn't come down on them too hard because they, they might not have known that the car was stolen. They might have not known something was going on. No, they fled from the scene. They, they fled. It's not like, oh, we've just had an accident. Let's stay and make sure that the friend of ours who was in the car, let's make sure that, that he's OK. No. And you can see them. They're, they're running away. This is all some giant game. All right, just one segment. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Here's the deal. 14 and a 15-year-old girls, 9 o'clock Monday morning, they are passengers in the stolen car involved in the joyriding, and they then flee. Right? That's, that's there. That's what's happened. They, they flee. They have now been arrested. They were not driving the car. We do not know directly whether they stole the car. This car was stolen the night before. We, we know that. So we don't know exactly who stole it. But we know, at least at this time, it's public that these two kids were passengers in the stolen car and were involved in the joyriding and were involved in the fleeing. Our number is 855-616-1620. What do you do with these two girls? Um, is this a situation where we just warn them not to do it again? We don't know that they stole the cars. They weren't driving the car, but they were in the car, and then they fled from the police following the accident. Do you prosecute them, and do you put them in some form of detention, whether you treat them as adults or whether you treat them as juveniles? Do they need to be prosecuted, or are, are they just misunderstood kids who, you know, all we need to do is talk to them and give them some midnight basketball opportunities, and they're not going to be in stolen cars driving in fashions like this on 9 o'clock on Monday mornings. 855-616-1620. What should happen to the 14- and the 15-year-old girls who were passengers in this vehicle? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. I get frustrated with myself because you, you, these details of these things emerge, and I, I'm, I, I admit, even after having done this for as long as I've, I've done this, I, I'm still surprised at some of the stuff, and then I get irritated with myself for being surprised. I mean, the latest news today, that, that big, the, the stolen car and the crash um, that happened Monday morning at 9 o'clock outside the middle school, they're now starting to make arrests. Two of the four people in the car have been arrested, and it turns out that one is a 15-year-old girl and one is a 14-year-old girl. Nine o'clock in the morning, joyriding, high rates of speed in this stolen 
run car, smash up the car, and then they all run. Now, they've caught two. The other two um, are still at large, but my guess is they're going to catch them sometime soon. But what do you do about the two that are passengers? Any sympathy for this? I mean, they were just passengers in the car. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Steve in Shorewood. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hey there. Hi. Yeah, so uh, pretty much the way that I look at this is, what should happen and what I think we all know will happen. Um, you know, you see it time and time again. These kids are getting in trouble, 14, 15, 16. And uh, what should happen is they get processed through the juvenile justice system and, and given a fair punishment. However, what we're seeing time and time again, you can expect to see it more this summer, is these kids are basically getting told, you know, it's not your fault. You're just, you know, lashing out at society. Maybe you deserve a free library card and – uh but you know, we need more opportunities. We need more we need more opportunities. We need more after school activities. And if you get after school activities, that means you're not going to go out and steal cars and drive at high rates of speed and slam into buses and run away from the cops. Yeah. That that's it. Let's or we need more driver's ed. Let's give people driver's ed. That'll stop this problem. Yeah, it's it's not. Hey, thanks for the call. You you're exactly right. What what do I think should happen here? Well, first of all, I think you you come down on them like a ton of bricks and, and you charge them with everything you possibly can charge them with. I don't know if these two were involved in stealing the car the night before. I'm sure that's all going to start to come out. But e- even assuming that they weren't involved in the car theft and just got picked up, you know, that that morning or whatever for these joy rides, there, there's still a lot of laws that were violated. And what you do is you prosecute them to the fullest extent of the law, maybe not waving them into adult court if they weren't the ones that actually stole the car and crashed it. The one the, whoever the driver was, you, you, you treat that driver like an adult. I'm, I'm sorry. That's that's it. Somebody uh, is seriously injured because he was driving that way. You prosecute whoever whoever is involved in stealing the car. You treat them like an adult. You wave them into adult court. You prosecute them. The other ones, maybe, you know, the juvenile system is fine. But then there's got to be some accountability. If you simply send them back to their parents who are clearly, one of our texters makes this point, unable or unwilling to care for them, all you're doing is reinforcing this. So, so yes, there has to be a prosecution, either in adult court, depending on the full extent of their involvement, but certainly in juvenile court. And then you know, we, we don't just slap them on the wrist. We say this is not an acceptable sort of thing, and you punish them so they're not back out on the streets two weeks from now stealing another car or going on a joyride with buddies of theirs who have stolen a car. And if, if nothing else, you protect the rest of us from them. Tom in Hartford. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Yes, Jeff. Uh, the other person said a little bit what I want to say. Uh, I, I think you put them in uh, juvenile court for about two years, okay? Mm-hmm. Make make sure they think about this. Maybe this won't happen again. And then if they miss school, I don't know if they uh, teach school in uh, juvenile detention. Sure they do. But if they miss school, they got to go back to school. Otherwise, all right, they got to learn. And maybe this will help, but it's got to be at least two years because 30 days or something like that ain't going to stop this. Yeah, no, thank you. There's got to be punishment. You know, one of our texters is making the point, you know, um, party to a crime. Well, yeah, Jeff, I think they need to be locked up. No probation, no matter what the age, the driver. um, I think the driver needs to be prosecuted, put in jail for 10 years. Um, There's no question about it. Jeff, this crime crisis will unfortunately continue in Milwaukee. Um, The district attorney's soft on crime, woke justice is a complete 
complete and total failure. More innocent people will be victimized soon. Um, there's no question uh, about that. You know, and, and a number of people, I, I mean, I do think, and I've, I've kind of come around on this, um, and, and I think that's one of the themes of the programs over the last couple of weeks. For the longest time, I've wrestled with the idea of holding parents accountable. Okay, your kid goes out and does something, you know, really, really crummy. You know, is it fair to hold you accountable? But more and more, I, I'm starting to think it's fair. What's a 14-year-old girl doing in this stolen car at 9 o'clock in the morning when she's supposed to be in school? All right? I mean, I think it's fair to look at what's going on. How did she get in that situation? What did mom and dad or mom or dad, what did they know? What didn't they know? Because unless you start holding parents responsible as well, you're, you're, I mean, you're just fighting a losing battle. Now, maybe we're fighting a losing battle regardless of this. But, you know, there's more details to emerge. We'll find out who it was that was involved in stealing the car. Maybe it was all of them. I, I don't know that, but we'll probably have a pretty good idea pretty soon. And the story will come out as to, you know, what they were doing joyriding. But the bottom line is these are bad kids. These are bad seeds. I mean, not only are they engaged in the joyriding, but after they crash the car, they literally leave one of their pals for dead on the street and run away. That tells you all you need to know about the type of people these kids are. And if you can rehabilitate them, I'm all in favor of that. No question about it. But while you're trying to work about rehabilitating these these kids, what you have to do is make sure that there is an element of punishment. So at least two of the four have been caught. I assume the police know who the driver of the car is. It's again, it's, you don't need Detective Colombo to figure this out because you knew, you know, one of the kids that was seriously injured. You had his name. Now you've got the other two. My guess is the cops know who these are. Now, whether somebody's hiding this kid, um, boy or girl who stole the car or who was driving the car, I don't know. But they're going to catch him pretty soon. I mean, there's no question in my, my mind. And when they catch him and we start to get more details about this, I think. It's even more fitting to say, okay, what is going to happen to them? And if there's not consequences, well, don't be surprised if this happens over and over and over again. One, one of our texters says, well, why weren't these kids in school? <laughs> well, that, that's a, that is, by the way, that's a fair question. Um, I, I have, you know, many other questions that are out there, too, like what are they doing in the stolen car and why are they driving in this reckless fashion? I mean, there's all sorts of very, very good questions to ask. And I guess why weren't they in school is one of them. All right. But if you think the out of control minors story is unique, though, to Milwaukee, uh-uh. here's one. Five minors arrested after stolen Kia chase in Dane County. All right, now let me just share this with you. According to the Dane County Sheriff's Office, a deputy noticed a stolen Kia heading east on the Beltline near Monona Drive around 2 p.m. So this is 2 p.m. yesterday afternoon. Deputies attempted to stop the driver. However, the driver drove away and later crashed into another driver near Buckeye Road. The driver continued to drive the stolen Kia north on U.S. Highway 51. The vehicle eventually became disabled at State Highway 30. All five occupants took off on foot. So, okay, where have we seen this 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 movie before? You've got, you know, five people in a car driving in a reckless fashion. The car turns out to be stolen. They flee from the police. Okay, five five people. 
Would you like to guess the age of the person that was driving the car? 18? Nah. 17? No. 16? Uh uh. 15? Keep going. 14? Nope. 13. The driver of the stolen car was a 13-year-old girl. A 13-year-old girl, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, driving in that reckless fashion. They've arrested, let's see, they ultimately, I mean, everybody runs. That's what happens. After they destroy the car, everybody ends up running. Um, a One of the passengers, they caught them all. Four juveniles transported to the juvenile reception center. A 17-year-old was booked into the Dane County Jail on two charges of obstructing and one charge of operating a motor vehicle without the owner's consent as a passenger. So they're just the joyriding in the stolen car. But 13-year-old girl driving the car. Now, I don't claim to have all the answers on something like this, but but I can certainly identify that the problems You've got, you know, kids, and I'm talking about kids. I mean, I don't know if she's, my guess is she's probably got trouble even reaching the pedal. She's 13 years old, but she's leading police on a high-speed chase, and then, again, with a bunch of her, like, no-good buddies, they're, they're fleeing from the cops. And this is another story where it could just as easily have been what happened on Monday outside Morse Middle School, where you have people in the hospital that are injured. Don't have the answer, but I do know that by not treating these matters seriously, we are not doing anybody any favors, starting with the kids, but mostly the rest of us as well. 13 years old. By the way, if you want to watch watch me while I'm doing the show, you have the ability to do that. We've been live streaming the radio broadcasts for the last couple of weeks. It's really easy. You go to WTMJ.com and we've got that button that says listen live that you can click on. You can also just click on the watch live button and you can see our studios down here at the Avenue and you can watch the broadcast. I know a number of people do that and go back and watch it afterwards. Um, clearly not as many as listen to us and the spoken word thing, but it's another option that we have and we're actually getting used to it. And it's kind of fun. All right. The... All right, here, here, let me just lead into this. Tony Evers thinks he's being tough. What, what's really going to happen is Tony Evers has just played into the hands of Republicans in the state legislature. Now, let me back up. All right, the, the big news over the last, of the last week or so is after years, years of counties, particularly Milwaukee County, complaining that they are not getting enough shared revenue. That is, that the state collects a sales tax. The money goes to the state, and then the state ships some of that money back to the counties. After years of complaining that they're not getting enough revenue, the Republicans in the legislature, after lots of meetings with the Milwaukee business community and meetings with the mayor and meetings with the county executives, say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We, we're going to adjust the revenue-sharing formula, and we're going to give counties more money back. 
And we're also going to give you, Milwaukee, we're going to give you the permission to if, ha, hold a referendum and see if voters agree to raise the sales tax, the local sales tax. We'll let you do that. Now, that's something that county and city officials have been begging for for years, and I've actually been supportive of that. I say it's local control. You want to let people decide whether they're going to raise their taxes? They should do it. Well, all right. Once that proposal comes out, now you've got some people around here who have now gotten cold feet and um, they're not they're afraid that, well, maybe the referendum won't pass. All right. But nevertheless, that's it. There's also different restrictions on the shared revenue. Um, There are limits as to what they can do. In other words, uh, if you're going to get this additional money back, some of it has to go to police. You know, we're going to set minimum thresholds for police and we're going to put limits on how much you can spend. All right, so that's the idea that's out there. Well, the announcement today, headline in the local paper, Governor Evers, Governor Tony Evers, calls GOP bill to fund local governments inadequate, says he would veto it in its entirety. And that's what he's going to have to, because unlike a budget bill where you can line item veto things, he either has to sign it or he has to just reject it. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers dramatically intervened Thursday in the battle over raising funding for local governments, taking Twitter and declaring that he would veto in its entirety legislation drawn up by Republican lawmakers in the state assembly. It's not enough resources, Evers said in a video statement issued minutes before the lawmakers gathered. We have the resources to do it. Let's give them more money. And he says he also wants to remove restrictions The legislation was putting on the local folks. So I am going to veto this bill that's been the product of all sorts of of work because, well, I I don't want there to be restrictions on it, and I want it to be even more money. Well, during her newscast, Sandy was saying that they hadn't heard from Robin Voss. Well, I've got the statement that he just issued. Robin Voss. Speaker of the Assembly and Majority Leader Devin LeMahieu of of the Senate released the following joint statement. After several weeks of meetings and negotiations with all parties involved, Democrats, Republicans, towns, villages, cities, and counties, we reached a shared revenue proposal we believe the public will support. It's very disappointing to come so close to the finish line only to have the governor publicly issue veto threats because he wants to spend more money. The most pressing issue here is the bankruptcy Milwaukee will face if this bill doesn't pass. This is a disappointing move by Governor Evers. He should reconsider and work with us before the bill is brought to the floor of the Assembly. All right. So in other words, okay, Tony, you're going to veto this. And you you say that unless there's major change and you get everything you want, you're not going to sign it. Let me just be honest about what's going on here. If Tony Evers thinks he has any leverage in forcing the Republicans to change this bill, he's smoking some of that weed that, that he wants to have legalized in the state. Let me explain the reality of this. All right, you have... Lots and lots of Republican legislators all around the state who aren't thrilled with adjusting the shared revenue bills at all. The idea that more money is going to go back to Milwaukee, that, that's a tough sell for their constituents. That's just the reality of this. And the way that they can sell it to their constituents is they can say, look, we know that, for example, in Milwaukee, there's been a lot of, of money that's been wasted and just peed away and irresponsibly spent. Now, what's going on with that Office of Violence Prevention? But, but, but I, I digress. But, but the argument that was going to allow Republican outstate legislators to sell this to their constituents was, look, 
Milwaukee's a big city. We understand that there's been some irresponsible spending, but but don't worry. We're going to give them more money. This is going to bail them out of their pension problems, and it's going to give them lots of extra money to spend on things. But we're, we're not giving them just a blank check. You know, you, you can't use it to extend the hop. You can't use it to at the expense of cutting the police department. That's that's what the Republicans outstate need in order to sell this to their constituents that, yeah, we're going to give them more money, but we're not going to just give them this blank check to spend money like they have spent in the past. Right. So Evers says, nope, I'm going to veto the whole thing. Well, you know what's going to happen if Evers thinks this is going to put pressure on the Republicans in the legislature. He's deluded. This is an easy out for a lot of state, particularly outstate Republicans who didn't want to take this vote in the first place because it was going to be unpopular among their constituents. It was going to be a tough vote to begin with. But now that Evers has said it's not enough money and I I don't like these restrictions, okay, the, the answer is, okay, Tony, that's fine. You're going to say you're going to veto it? Fine, we're, we're going to give you the bill, and if you veto it, and then Milwaukee ends up in a situation where they've, they've got to make these layoffs, that's fine, because then we're going to blame you, because we are going to say we had this solution, we had something, maybe it wasn't perfect, I understand the mayor would like to not have to have a referendum, but this is something, Tony, that we worked out, we worked out agreements with um, lots of the interested parties we had this proposal, and I understand that there were some restrictions on it that some of the local governments didn't like, but we we were throwing them the life preserver, and you have now pulled that life preserver away. So if Tony Evers thinks he has any leverage at all in this by threatening to veto this bill, he is completely and totally deluded. He has made it easy for a lot of outstate Republicans to avoid taking a, a hard vote because their their constituents weren't thrilled about this to begin with. So Tony Evers has done Robin Voss, he's done the Republicans in the state Senate a huge, huge favor, and he shafted, he shafted Milwaukee by thinking that, well, gee, by me threatening to veto this, this is going to put more leverage on them. Uh-uh. No, what, what he's done is he's given them an easy way out. Republicans will pass a bill that's going to have some of these restrictions. It's going to have the referendum on it. And if Evers vetoes it, then the point is going to be, don't complain to us anymore about not enough shared revenue. We had a deal. We had an arrangement. You might not have thought it was perfect, but it's the governor that has blocked this. And any fiscal problems that arise now are on Tony Evers' hands. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. All right, Tony Evers says he's going to veto this because it's not enough money and he doesn't like some of the restrictions. I don't think he's got any leverage at this at all. And if he does, in fact, veto it, he then... He then takes all the responsibility because the other side has presented something. They've worked it out. This, I think, from a political perspective, if, if Evers thinks he's got any sort of, again, authority to, to block this and he thinks he can get a better deal by threatening to veto it, he's he's nuts.
855-616-1620. And if I were some of these outstate Republicans who wanted to, weren't thrilled with this in the first place because there's constituents who are going to like it, I, I'd be sending Tony Evers flowers. I'd be sending him candy. I'd be sending him a bottle of his favorite alcohol because he has done them a huge favor by making this threat. And he's also screwed over Milwaukee in a big way. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, let, let's. I mean, here here is the deal. Um, this shared changes to shared revenue is something that Republicans have been not on board with for years. So finally, Rob and Voss they sit down. They say, okay, we're going to work with the counties. We're going to work with uh, local governments, the cities. We're going to come up with some changes here. And again, there, there's there's parts of it that people don't like. But you got to understand, there's a lot of pressure on Republican outstate legislators not to make changes to begin with. So they make these adjustments. More money comes back. To Milwaukee, we'll use Milwaukee as an example, enough to bail Milwaukee out of its pension crisis that it's in, but it comes with some strings. You, you can't cut the number of cops, and you have to have certain thresholds, and you can't use it to expand the trolley. All right, well, some people might not like it, but that's the stu- type of stuff you need to have in the bill if you are going to sell it politically, for example, to outstate Republicans whose constituents aren't thrilled about sending money to Milwaukee in the first place, given, you know, how Milwaukee spends money. And I don't even go down that, but that's just the political reality. So in Trump's Evers and says, it's not enough. I don't like these conditions. I'm going to veto it. Well, okay, real, real smart, Tony, because now the Republicans simply say to Milwaukee, sorry, we tried. And, you know, your governor said he was going to veto it. Sorry. Um, and now, you know, you have another couple years of a budget crisis and all these problems, and you can lay it squarely on the, on the, at the feet of the governor, who in this position, I think, has absolutely no leverage. What an incredibly dumb thing to do today. 855-616-1620. Vincent in Lannan. Vincent, you're on WTMJ. Uh, good afternoon. Hi. I think the only reason why Governor Evers probably came out and said he's going to veto this particular shared revenue bill is because he's hearing from a lot of constituents. This isn't only about Milwaukee, but I'm sure other, other uh, uh, constituents in other cities and other counties are, are not satisfied with this deal as well. And so, and so I'm sure that he's hearing from them because if, if people were knocking on his door or, 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 or burning up his phone and saying, hey, accept this deal, I think he would probably accept it, but I think there's a lot of people who are dissatisfied with what's coming down from the, from the state. The fact is, when you have a surplus of millions uh, uh, of almost billions of dollars, and then you're just trying to give people uh, 10% here and 10% there, and, and and I think people uh, understand that that the state has enough money that maybe they can do more. And so I think that's what Governor Evers is saying. You think this is a political winner for him by threatening to veto this? Well, I, I don't know if it's a political win for him or not, but the fact is, if Milwaukee defaults on his it, its pension, if Milwaukee defaults on his mm-hmm. pensions obligation, and Milwaukee goes bankrupt, I don't know if they even can go bankrupt with, with the laws in the state. I don't even know if they can go bankrupt. But the fact is, if they don't do it, it's not only going to affect Milwaukee; it's going to affect the rest of the state. The fact is, they're not going to be able to pay mm-hmm. pay the state what they what the, what they're uh, in their share revenue. They're not even going to be able to pay the state because they're filing basically filing bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So it's not only going 
affect Milwaukee, but it's going to make, affect the state. Mm-hmm. But but my point is is that I, I don't think Governor Evers is, is doing this flippantly. I think he understands that he's getting uh, uh, he's getting calls and, and, and feedback saying that uh, nobody wants to accept this deal and that uh, they need some changes in, in, in the share revenue deal. Well, Vincent, thanks for call. I, I just disagree. He, he might be getting calls, but the, the I mean, here's the politics of this. Let's take your example that, okay, Milwaukee defaults on its pension obligations because shared revenue doesn't go through. Okay, so here, here's the response. If I'm Robin Voss or I'm the Republicans in the legislature, you know what? I say, you know why that is? That's because Tony Evers vetoed the deal that we had worked out. We spent weeks and weeks talking to county officials, and we understand that it, it wasn't, from their perspective, a perfect bill. They didn't like to have to do the referendum. They might have wanted more money and all that, but that's okay. We worked out this deal. Hey, we had this press conference, and, and there, you know, it's Robin Voss standing next to the mayor of Milwaukee. We had this press conference. We had this agreement. You know, we were ready to pass it. We were going to put it on Tony Evers' desk, and all he had to do was sign it, and a lot of these problems go away, and he vetoed it. He's the one that said no. Now, I'm just telling you that the politics of this is it's awful tough to shift that responsibility. And if bad things happen in southeastern Wisconsin, it is solely on Tony Evers's head. At least I think that's the way. Now, I mean, maybe there's some media outlets that are going to play it that way, but that's just the reality of this. There was a lifeline that was thrown to a number of these communities and and it's it's there. And Evers is saying, no, I, I'm not going to accept it because it's not enough. Well, okay, Cavalier Johnson was saying, well, there's parts of it I don't like, but th- this is good. You know, David Crowley, the county executive, was saying, well, there's parts of this that I don't like. I'd like to not have a referendum. And I, I prefer that they not, you know, manage the number of cops that we have to have or, or whatever. But this is the deal we've cut. Now, I guess I, where I disagree with you on this, Vincent, is the idea that, you know, when it comes to assigning blame in the real world, this this was out there. This is put on the governor's desk. And if the governor decides that he's going to reject it because it's not more, well, then the governor owns anything, it seems to me, that happens after this point. Because after years, the GOP in the legislature have finally, they cut a deal. They worked something out. Now, also, this idea that I'm going to veto it in its entirety. Okay, All right. you you, could, you think you're going to be able to bully the legislature? Like I said, this is he, he's doing them a favor because this is a tough vote for a lot of Republicans in the state legislature, and the state legislature is overwhelmingly dominated by Republicans. I have no doubt that the leaders in the Assembly and the Senate had to do arm twisting to get some of their outstate colleagues to go along with something like this because the principal beneficiary of this is southeastern Wisconsin in general, and it's Milwaukee in particular. So there's a lot of arm twisting that went on with this. Well, okay, now Tony Evers has just given everybody an excuse to now now vote for for this, something that they probably didn't like in the first place because he says it's not enough. No, I mean, I'm I'm sorry it, if if bad things now happen moving forward because you can't get this done because the governor has threatened an outright veto or promised an outright veto. All right. It's going to be status quo. And that's all going to be on Tony Evers, because anytime this issue comes up moving forward, the, the first thing that a lot of us, myself included, are going to say is there was a deal. There was an agreement that had been reached. Tony Evers is the one that vetoed this. So if you're complaining about layoffs, if you're complaining about bankruptcies, if you're complaining about pension defaults, all right, it could have all gone away 
except for what Evers threatened to do. No, I'm sorry. I think it's an incredible political loser. And some people are saying, well, I hope the Republicans don't cave. There's nothing to cave to. He's he's especially the outstate Republicans who didn't like this in the first place. He's completely and totally played into their hands. And I feel bad about it because. I think this was a fair deal. It was something that was politically possible. And I understand some people might not like certain aspects of it, but it was something that was doable. And Evers, by just saying, I'm going to veto the whole thing, he's made matters much, much worse, especially for people down here who want a little bit more money or want a lot more money to try to help out the pension problems, etc. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Sandy, okay, so this is May 4th, and it's Star Wars Day. I guess I know the answer to this. Okay. All right, but would you like to take a shot at explaining? Because even though I know the answer to this, it still makes no sense to me. What? Why is May 4th? Why is May 4th Star Wars Day? Because it's a play on the very famous line, may the force be with you. I have a friend who is a very serious Star Wars fan, and he argues that it's a different day of the year because that's actually when the 1977 movie was released. But for the rest of us who just like to enjoy Star Wars, may the force be with you, Jeff. Okay, but of course that's not the line from the movie. I understand that. It's close. It's awfully close. (laughs) <laughs> well, oh, okay. may the force be with you versus may the fourth. Oh, but OK. All right. I, I, again, if if you're a Star Wars fanatic and you want to celebrate this, go with God. I'm OK with that. But it's just I know there's a lot of people out there thinking May 4th. Why would this be? But yes. it's, it, it goes back to the line, may may the force be with you. And that's somehow become May the 4th. OK, well, always looking for a reason to celebrate, right? Well, that, that, that's see, that's the better answer. <laughs> that, that's actually the better answer. We're looking for something to celebrate. We have all these days after stuff. And so it's going to be Star Wars. It leads right into Cinco de Mayo. Then it leads into Derby Day. We got a good stretch going here. Oh, that's true. That's true. So I, that, that's right. So now I have to like I'm going out to dinner with some friends tonight. So I have to dress up in my Star Wars gear and then, you know, Cinco de Mayo tomorrow. And you can you, you don't want to have cultural appropriation. Got to be very careful about that or, because, you know, I don't want to see those pictures all over. But I got to figure out that. And yeah, and then it's the Kentucky Derby. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially with the ladies. Have you ever been to the Kentucky Derby? I've been as a child and then I've been a few times as an adult. Do you like it? I do. I do. Well, I grew up in Louisville, okay, so right. that it's kind of in my DNA, and it's a fun tradition, whether you dress up with the hat and the high heels or whether you buy a general admission ticket and just roam around and get in that spirit. There's a great energy. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you say that because I, 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 I've, I've given up more bad habits than most people develop in their lifetime, but, <laughs> but one is I, I love to play the horses and stuff, even though... After we bought this place in Florida about three years ago, my disposable income has kind of turned away from that. But I, I so but I, I like to go to racetracks and stuff, and I, I've been known to you know place bets and stuff. I went, I've been to the Derby twice, and candidly, I don't really have a desire to go back. It's sort of like um, uh, I've been to the Indy Five Hundred. It's just it's all the people, you know. I mean, it's just it's just the, the crowds kind of overpower me after a while. Yeah, it, it is a great gathering of. People of all right. types, I, I'm all gl- types. I'm glad that I went. I'm glad that I Me saw too. it so I can say I've experienced it. But if somebody were to say, hey, you, you want to take a drive down there again and, and we'll go, I, I think I'd You've say, checked it off your bucket I, list. I checked it off, my, just like the Indy 500. And, you know, actually, uh, the, the Super Bowl, I, I, 
if the Packers got back to the Super Bowl, I would go. But I mean, it's you go to the Super Bowl, and I went when they were in Dallas the last time they were there, and it was a blast. And I'm glad I went. I'm glad I could say I went. But it was a pain in the butt. I mean, it, it's just so crowded, and you got the. It was just very difficult to do everything. And I guess maybe as I get older, the the thrill of me and I don't know eighty five thousand of my best friends all crammed together, <laughs> getting ready to spend. I don't know, $25 on mint juleps is just kind of, no. <laughs> it's lost. For epic sporting events, though, interesting you bring up the Super Bowl. Like, I feel like those playoff games are not affordable. Whereas for the Derby, you really can get a general admission ticket for 30 bucks, 40 bucks, and be there. So be you're in the venue. So you're in the infield. Well, you have the option to go in the You don't right, have to right, go right, to the party. So, in so, you're, so you're in, in the infield with especially if it rains, with the, the muddy people who are, like, throwing up on your shoes. All right, I, I get That's it. That's the spring break portion, but you don't have to go under the track and into the infield. Right. You can roam around uh, in see, the general mission see, areas I, I on just, the first I, I turn I just said there. those magic words, infield, and I saw you already you oh. understood where I was going with that. It's like, okay, I get it. Well, in any event, it's Star Wars Day, May 4th. May the Force be with you. I have this topic worked up about this huge issue that's going on at UW-Madison. If you haven't seen the story, a a female student posts online a a video where she is spewing all sorts of racist comments. Now, why you would do this in the first place and then why you would post it online, absolutely beyond me. But it, it of course, goes viral. And now you have a, a lot of students, particularly students of color, who are outraged about this. And they're making all sorts of demands of the chancellor, starting with the, the fact that they're, they say that the student needs to be um, tossed out of school, expelled. And the, the school is saying, well, the problem is um, she didn't do this using school resources. She didn't do this, you know, on school property. And we really there's nothing we can really do to regulate the behavior that somebody engages in on their own time off the of school property. And so the response to that is, well, no, we need to regulate hate speech more, and, and we, we want policies that say if somebody says something that we consider to be hate speech, they get tossed out. Um, we're going to talk about that, but I need some more time because I, I want to go into it in full because I think it's very complicated, but it's also interesting. So we're going to save that for tomorrow. Brewers baseball coming up in just a few minutes. This this is my favorite story. Oh, oh one other thing first. Um, the, the breaking news, Ed Sheeran, the, the, the pop singer – he, um, after a couple-week trial, um, the jury in New York just cleared him of copyright infringement. Um, there were um, the family members of, of the late Marvin Gaye were suing him, saying the song that he came out with was, was a ripoff, essentially, of, of Marvin Gaye's very famous, um, very famous song, Let's Get It On. And it's, you know, I was going to talk about this in great detail, but I don't claim to be a musical scholar. There, there's what they call a chord progression, and the chord progression is similar. Beyond that, though, um, there, there really aren't too many similarities. There's the lyrics. There's the um, the fact that the the melodies are different on, on anything other than just simply the chord projection. You know, A, C, whatever. It, it's it, it's it's a different song, and I think I think this is the right decision that the jury came to, because I think it's one of these things where it's very, very difficult to copyright a, a chord progression. And if you do, if this case had gone another way, I think it would have been a very chilling thing for songwriters all around who, <clears throat> who you know, there, there's only so many chords that you can have. And, you know, almost all songs have similarities to other songs, including when it comes to the chord progression. So I think this was the right decision. All right. 
something completely different but very appropriate for upcoming baseball. Here is the deal. The um, I, 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 and first of all, I hate to I hate to break the news to anybody about this, but you know the, the racing sausages that, that they have at at Miller Park now American Family Field. You know those those racing sausages. They're not real sausages. There, there are, I, and I, again, I, I, I apologize. Maybe I should have given like a PG-13 warning, but there's, there's people in them. <laughs> Matter of fact, I knew, I knew a gal who was one of the racing sausages. You know, she worked for, the, she was like an intern in marketing. She was one of the racing sausages. But anyhow, the, the, the racing sausages first debuted in June of 1993. So that's when they, they first came on the scene. And... As you might expect, there have been costume changes that have been made to the racing sausages, you know, over over the years. I mean, they're not they're they haven't used the same racing sausages from year to year. Um, you know, so that's kind of the that that sort of makes sense. And as a matter of fact, now the the racing sausages that they use now are are made of fabric. That that's what the costumes are. But back when they when they first debuted the racing sausages, the costumes were made of foam and plastic. All right. So you might wonder, why are we talking about this? Well, here's the deal. There is the original racing sausages, the first racing sausages, the original Polish, the original bratwurst, and the Italian. The original racing sausages from 1993, apparently they were um, just stashed, stashed in some like warehouse or some back room or something at the um, old county stadium. And then what happened is somebody found them and they, they saved them. And now those racing sausages are up for auction. They are available on eBay for... 25,000 bucks, 25 grand gets you the original three racing sausage costumes. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. I was talking about this this morning with a couple of my friends. And I, 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 one of my catchphrases is the old Robin Williams line. The Robin Williams line was that cocaine is God's way of telling you you have too much money. I said... $25,000 to buy the three racing sausage costumes that debuted in 1993. That's God's way of telling you you have too much money. And one of my friends immediately said, Jeff, this would be so very cool. This would be really, really cool. I'd love to have them. And I said, what would you do with them? Oh, I don't know what I do with them. I mean, but I, you know, I, I put them on display and something. And I said, well, for twenty five grand, I, I think they're probably going to be yours. Now that kind of ended the conversation. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Only a couple minutes. Here is my question. All right, twenty five thousand dollars. You can be the owner of three of the original racing sausage costumes. You in? Or does that just strike you as being kind of nutso? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Okay, and, and so just one more one more caveat to these three racing sausages, the original costumes that could be yours for a mere $25,000. 
Apparently, they're not in the greatest shape. Uh, the Italian chef hat is destroyed. The Polish sausage is missing an eye. <laughs> so, so they're, I mean, it's not like these are pristine or anything, but they are a part of history. Twenty-five grand, huh? Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I, I think your buddy's nuts, but uh, what I would say is if you're getting all of them for twenty-five grand instead of just one of them, you're getting all three. Grand, no, they, they come as a package. Deal. Okay, you're getting, yeah, you're getting a deal in. Well, you're you're um. Thanks for the call. You're, you're getting something. I, I don't know that I'd call it a deal. One of our texters says, it's not the $25,000 for the costumes. It's the half of everything that I would lose in the divorce when my wife got <laughs> But there, there would be that aspect as well. You did what? You know, we all get that from time to time. Now, I know somebody, true story, you know, when they were tearing down County Stadium, they pretty much auctioned, you know, everything off. I know somebody who bought a urinal from County Stadium, um, and it was like, Okay, why do you want to do this? And he thought it would be a conversation piece. I'm thinking, what are you going to do? Put this in your living room or, or something like that? No, but it's it's out there. Um, 855-616-1620. Patty in Oak Creek. Patty, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi I don't have the money for, uh, you know, $25,000 for costumes. The only way I would even consider it if the money was going to charity, and it doesn't sound like it is. No, I don't think so. I, I think that the money is going to – this is through an auction house, so somebody somebody must own the, these things at all. Yeah, okay, so you know, you, you want to – it's just kind of a clever way, and you want to make a donation to charity. I, I get that, but I, in general, you're not going to get into a bidding war for these. Let me ask you this. Do you think somebody's going to buy them for twenty five grand? Oh, yeah, there's somebody out there that's going to buy them. But, uh, yeah, no, I've got better things to spend my money on. Yeah, no, right. <laughs> Old costumes that are missing eyes and other pieces. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that, yeah, right. No, thanks, thanks God. That, I'm trying, that is one of the things that even if you're a huge fan, you've got great memories and stuff, and I, I've never quite gotten a lot of the collectability stuff and all, but that's that's one that I'm I'm trying to picture coming home and saying, sweetheart, Fran, you know I love you. I just um, I I, we, I want to tell you about something I, I bid on today, and this you know there, there, it's going to be you know being delivered by you know UPS or FedEx or something next couple of days. I I just I bought the original racing sausages. You did what? No, I bought the original racing sausage. Now the Polish is missing an eye, and the chef's hat is kind of trashed. But I bought them. I think it's going to be really cool. There'll be a keepsake, and that is when you get the look from your spouse that all you ladies learned from your mothers at some point in time in, in your life that that I married a moron. Look, I mean, I don't, I can't believe somebody's going to buy these for twenty five thousand bucks. I, I just can't. But who knows? Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I would not be able to buy them, but if I was independently wealthy, I would channel my inner Indiana Jones because they belong in a museum, and I would either put them in a museum or, better yet, display them outside of Amfam Field. Um, well, yeah, but... But I mean, they're they're fragile and they're kind of trashed and stuff. That it's yeah. Thanks, I get it. I mean, there, there's all sorts of. I guess you know maybe you you donate them to to something or or whatever. But I kind of go back to this and say I just don't get it. And now people are texting me. Somebody said they got I got bleacher seats from County Stadium. I know a couple people, others who bought a couple like individual seats from County Stadium, and they have it like in their rec room, their man cave in the basement or something. At least I, I sort of, I kind of understand that. I admit I don't quite get the urinal. It sounded like a, a funny thing, and I thought it was kind of a joke. And maybe it's just a talking piece. Hey, I bought a urinal from County Stadium or whatever, but um, it, it wasn't anything close to twenty five grand. 25 grand for the racing sausages. They could be yours. I think I'm going to keep the dough.